Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. So our reading today is a little long, so if it helps to keep your attention, there's a few QR codes on these music stands. If you scan that, the reading's in there, and also some images that I'm going to reference later, pictures I took uh, later on in the sermon. So if you want to at any point get out your phone and pretend to look at those things, you are welcome to do that. So our reading is from John chapter 4. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his sons Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he the one who was speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see 
how the fields are ripe for harvesting. We're in this series we've called Finding God in the Ugly. Last week, Pastor Drew started out this series by looking at the very beginning, the creation story in Genesis. And we see in that story, like he said, that from the very beginning, God says, you are very good. God loves what God has made, and there's nothing that can take that away. So even in the ugliest, worst moments of life, we can rest knowing that we are loved no matter what. Before we get to the ugliness in today's story, we need to look at something that is ugly that is not in the story. There's this idea that people often say about this story about the woman in the well, that Jesus forgave this woman for her sinful relationships. But that is not something that we actually find in the text. Jesus says nothing about sin. He says nothing about forgiveness. He tells her the reality of her complicated past. And the point of this is he shows that he has this prophetic knowledge, this ability to know everything about a person that he just met. So think about what he actually says. She has had five husbands and the person that she is with now isn't her husband. Some people have said, oh, so this is a prostitute. No, no, she's not a prostitute. She was married to five different people. A prostitute would not, who would have a very hard time getting married, let alone getting married five different times. No, she's not a prostitute. Some people have also said, well, maybe she was somebody who kept cheating on her husband and moving on to the next one, right? And kept divorcing them and moving on. That's a very modern idea. It would not have been possible at this point in the world. Women didn't have the ability, the power, to cheat on their husbands and leave for someone else. A man could do that, but women did not have the power to do that. And so there were three things that could have happened. One, her husbands could have died. Or her husbands could have decided to leave her. Maybe she was infertile. Maybe she couldn't produce an heir, and so they left her, whatever it was. Or it was some combination of those two things. And so, does this woman have pain in her past? Yes. Does she carry around some baggage and maybe some stigma with her? Yeah, definitely. But it's not because of sinful things that she has done. It's because of things that have happened to her. So the ugliness of this text is not some sinful woman who needed forgiveness. If we focus on that, then we miss the truth of what's actually going on here. The ugliness of the story it's this undeniable reality of the hatred and division between two groups of people, between the Jews and the Samaritans. And even if you didn't know this historical background, John tells you in the text. So Jesus asked this woman for a drink, and she responds, How is it that you, a Jew, asks a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And then John puts this little footnote, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Just in case you missed the point, they shouldn't even be having this conversation. Jews and Samaritans, at this point, they hate each other. So they go on in their conversation back and forth about this water. And it's kind of funny to us because at first she doesn't get it. It's like, okay, whatever, sure. Give me this water, living water that you're talking about. Show me the spring that you found somewhere around here. And that's when Jesus brings up her past about these five husbands. And he does it to show that he's not some ordinary person. He's not talking about ordinary, literal water. He's talking about something else here. And notice that it works. Right? They don't talk about her shame or any of that. No, she goes right on. Okay, I see that you are a prophet. I see there's something special going on with you. But then she gets right to the heart of the matter. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, 
But you, and that's a plural you, your people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, we might read that and think, well, what's the big deal? You, you worship in New Albany and I worship in Gehenna. Who cares, right, where you put the temple? But we have to remember that for the people in the Bible, land location matters, and the history of that land and the history of their people really matters. So let's think about the Samaritans and the Jews. All right, most people know that they don't like each other, but why? Samaritans and Jews, they both were Israelites, and Samaritans were the Israelites who came from the north. The Jews were the ones who came from the south, basically. Even the word Jew... In Greek, in the New Testament, it's the word Judean. So actually, whenever you see Jew in the Bible, it is a geographical designation, not a religious one. It says the people from the region of Judah in the south, those Judeans. So the Samaritans, they share the same origin of their religion. They share the same first five books in the Bible. Things started to change after that, but they have the same birthplace, the same origin. And then this split happened around the time of the exile. Now, if you want to read about the whole exile, it's really fascinating, I think, if you have a couple hours. And so just read First and Second Kings. But basically, the gist is that the northern Samaritans, they were conquered, taken away, and then returned to the land first. And then the southern Judeans, the Jews, were conquered, taken away, and returned to the land second. It's a little more complicated, but that's kind of how it happened. And so in this time where they both are back, the northern Samaritans, the southern Judeans, we start to see this conflict in the book of Ezra. So this time, the Judeans are given permission by the Persians, the empire at the time, to go back to their land. They said, go ahead, build your temple. That's fine. And here's what happens in Ezra chapter 4. When the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, oh wait, the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, that's how they describe who? The Samaritans. These are the northern Israelites. When the enemies heard that the returned exiles, so those are the southerners, the Judeans, were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of families and said to them, let us build with you. Hey guys, we're the same. Let us do this together. For we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of King Ezarhaddon of Assyria who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families in Israel, the Judeans, said to them, You shall have no part with us in building a house for our God, but we alone will build for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus of Persia has commanded us. So what happened there? The Jews, the Judeans, they don't think the Samaritans are good enough. They are not pure enough to be part of the same group as them. Now they have some reason to be suspicious they had heard these stories that the Samaritans, the northerners, they had intermarried with foreign people who'd been conquered and moved over, which meant that those, what's the big deal about foreign marriages? Well, sometimes they take their foreign religions, their foreign idols with them. And so they were worshiping some of these other gods in addition to also worshiping the God of Israel. Now, there's some debate that by the time of Ezra, this might have actually been taken care of. There were some reforms, and so maybe they had renounced this, and maybe not, but the Judeans didn't want to risk it. We don't want to be mixed up with you impure northerners. And so the Jews, they build their own temple in Jerusalem, and then eventually the Samaritans decide, all right, we need ours too, and so they build their temple up in the north. 
So a couple hundred years go by. Now we get to the time of Jesus. In hundreds of years, people have been telling this story, each their own side. I'm sure it sounds a little different depending on which side you come from. And they've had conflicts, adding fuel to the fire. They've had plenty of reasons, Jews and Samaritans, not to trust one another. So Jesus says, all right, I'm offering an olive branch. I'm giving you this living water to a person from Samaria. It's a big deal. Like, look, this kingdom of God, it is for you and for your people. And she gives him a reality check. She's basically like, look, remember this thing that happened? We can't just get over this. We can't just sing kumbaya and then we'll all be friends. It's not that simple. You Jews have your temple over here. We have ours over here. We are never going to heal this. There's this core piece of our identity that is fundamentally different between us. Now, unfortunately, I think that feeling is something we can all relate to in our world right now. Of seeing someone else and saying, the core of your identity is too different from us. I mean, I don't know about you, but all of the things around the special election and then looking forward to the next presidential election. Isn't it great? We're all excited about that. The mood is that, look, the people on the other side, there is something so fundamentally different about them. There's no way we can work together. They're, the only thing that we can do is try and defeat the side that's wrong. When I went to seminary, I had the chance to go on a trip to the Holy Land, to Israel in Palestine. And one of the great things about being in the land is there are some places where you read the story and you can't help but picture the place where it was. And so this event happened at Jacob's Well, and so I can't help but picture this church that was built on the site of Jacob's Well. It was interesting, though, I was talking with Pastor Doug about this, because a few years ago, a group from Peace went to the Holy Land, and they didn't go to Jacob's Well, which is not too surprising, because it's right outside of Nablus, which is this area where for decades it's been a hot spot. Wherever there is violence, wherever there are uprisings, it's not always a safe place to be, so often people avoid it. So on the site of Jacob's Well, there's this Greek Orthodox church there, and it's looked after by Father Lustinos. And if you go to that uh, QR code, there's a, full, there's a picture there I took of Father Lustinos talking with our group. He's been looking after this church since 1980. The year right before that, 1979, his predecessor, the other priest, was brutally murdered inside the church. And Lustinos, he wasn't in charge then, but he was there during this attack. So he told our group through a translator describing what happened. It was this horrible attack where this mentally ill Jewish extremist wanted to remove Christian symbols from this area. And so he attacked the other priest with an axe. And when that didn't do it, he had a grenade that he threw killed him. There's a picture in that folder of a broken step. That's the spot where the grenade landed. And the priest says, it's right over there that it happened. So Father Lustinos, he survived this attack and he survived many attacks since that day. He's survived many death threats that he's received over the decades that he's been charged of this holy place. And he's a real interesting guy. If you look up this church, there's artwork all around it. It's all been created by him. And then he created these two mosaics. So outside the church, there's this one mosaic of the martyred priest above his tomb where his remains are. 
And on the other side of the entrance to this church, there's a mosaic he created of himself over a tomb. Because he knows someday when he dies, that's where he wants his remains to be put to rest. He's one of those guys that you can't help but be inspired by when you listen to his story. It was so touching and also so heartbreaking, so horrible the things he's had to go through. And despite all of that violence, he's been working to build relationships with his neighbors, with the Israelis and the Palestinians, with people who are Jewish, Muslim, and Christian around him. He's been trying to foster this peace, but he is also quick to say that I am more than willing to die to protect the sanctity of this place, which is a holy place for three different religions. So how sad is it that this same place is still, it's still this place that marks bitter divisions and violence even 2,000 years after Jesus was talking with this woman about the divisions in their time. So another place we visited in the north of Israel was the Samaritan Museum. And not a lot of people know this, but there are still Samaritans today living in the same land and practicing their religion. There's not a, a lot of them. There's a few hundred left at this point. They still study the Torah. They still practice their religious festivals. There's one picture in that folder of this wall of pictures of them uh, celebrating the Passover. And it's a little different than most modern Jews because the Samaritans still ritually sacrifice and cook the lamb together. So it's a little different experience, right? just like the ancient people did. But in that picture, you also see that the Samaritans are wearing white robes. They're wearing white robes, and they say that this is part of their tradition. It's the same kind of white robes that their ancestors would have worn even back in the time of Jesus, which is really cool. Do you want to know why it's cool? You don't. You do? Okay, good. You're going to find out anyway. It's just really cool. So we go back to this story about Jesus and this woman. He tells her that he's the Messiah, and she drops her jug, leaves it behind, and runs back to her hometown. And then she convinces the rest of her village. She says, look, you fellow Samaritans, I met this Jewish rabbi, and I think he might be the Messiah. And they listen to her, and they go, and they start to head back towards Jesus. Now, at this point, the disciples have gotten back with Jesus. And I love this part of the story. They say, Jesus, do you need something to eat? It's like, you remember that whole, like, cursing the fig tree thing when you were hungry? Like, you just, you get low blood sugar, Jesus. You need a Snickers. Have something to eat. And here's how he responds. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then come the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. Except for the word that Jesus actually says there isn't ripe. You see, when the fields of grain were ready, they would lose their color because they had dried out. And so people would say, the fields are white and ready for the harvest. You see this in other translations. The word Jesus actually says is, look around you. The fields are white and ready for the harvest as the Samaritans are walking down to them wearing their white robes. Do you get it? It's like he's saying, you know those people that you hate? 
You know those people who you think are just way too different from us that we're never going to get along? They are coming here right now and they're ready to hear the gospel. And they're ready to share that gospel with the world just like this woman who I just met. Yeah, you might have thought that reconciliation was a waste of time. And I tell you, this is the time to change things. What if the same thing is true now. What if? It is so easy to have a really negative outlook on our world. And maybe it always is, but I don't know. Right now, we have just seen the second time in recent months where parts of the world are literally burning. They're burning because what we're doing to the planet. And then you read study after study of how people are feeling these days, and people are more depressed they're more anxious, they're more lonely, they're more isolated than they've ever been before. It feels like a hopeless time to live in. You know what that also means? It means that people are longing for hope. People are longing for some good news to believe in. People are longing for a kind of community that matters. So what if God is speaking to us right now just like Jesus was to the disciples? Look around you people. The fields, they are ripe. They are ready for the harvest. You think that this is a hard time to be the church? No, this is the time to be the church. Go and spread some hope. Go and be people of good news because the world needs it. Amen.